Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. God is king, we're the soldiers. Is is Kanye, I, I can't keep track of how evangelical Christians are supposed to view Kanye. Like one week, he's he's our boy. The next week, he's canceled. That was we're, so bad. Where are we at? <laughs> where are we at right now? Is is Kanye like on good terms or bad terms? You know, I feel like there's so many other things in cultural headlines that have you know taken place of him. I don't even know what he's doing these days. Like, mm. what happened to Yeezy? What happened to Kanye? I don't even know what happened to Kim. Well, I know what happened to Kim because my wife watches Keep Up with the Kardashians, uh, and so tell us. Uh, Kim's doing Kim's doing good. It sounds like her family's trying to set her up with somebody else, which, mm. which makes me sad. Because I love Kanye. Is they're not married. They're, I, they're not married. Eileen is shocked and thinking <laughs> right now. I'm sorry. That's the long pause. <laughs> I think they got divorced, or they at least filed. Oh. For, they at least filed I don't for know. it. Oh. I just I kind of get glances as I walk by the TV. And so I don't really know There's the whole story. There's a documentary. Eileen's googling now. She's looking up all things. Oh my gosh! When did yeah, this what's happen? Kim and Kanye. This this and is 2021. Yeah, this has been going on oh, for a little while. Girl. I know. All right, I'm sorry, guys. I'm no, sorry. it's okay. But I like Kanye. <laughs> I hope that, I hope that doesn't cancel me. So I was actually listening to his Jesus is King album <laughs> on the way over here today because last week we talked about Jesus as being fully God fully man and today we're talking about jesus being lord and savior and what that actually means and so spoiler alert kanye kanye was kind of onto something so maybe maybe kanye has something figured out that a lot of us uh don't well he's got a lot of things not figured (laughs) out for sure um, but so when we hear this term, Jesus is Lord and Savior, if you're like me and you kind of grew up uh, grew up in the church and you grew up with like altar calls and, and all that kind of stuff in the, in the Western church, you hear this all the time. Hey, just believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and then you're, you're good to go. Like you're going to heaven. If you believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven. It's done. So is that okay? Where do we where do we find that? Is that is that accurate? The statement is accurate for sure. Um, I grew up in the same uh, church context where uh, literally verbatim, you know, that was as the gospel in church was presented to me. It was very much boiled down to as far as the action that we need to take or that I need to take personally. It is to believe those things, you know, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, all that type of stuff. And so in Romans 10, Paul um, identifies that that is w- one of the things that one must to be, be due to, excuse what? me, <laughs> forgot how to speak for a second. I, was, I thought we have a special guest Yoda, Yoda. <laughs> in, in the booth today. Sorry, just transcended a little bit. Um, anyway, one of the things that someone has to do to be saved Something that was definitely not explained to me, and I think most people, especially starting out as they're figuring out what does it mean to follow Jesus or be a Christian, don't have a concept for, and for good reason, is the implications of those terms as Paul is saying it. Because Paul is, okay, one, he's apostle, and he knows Jesus, but he is first century 
Jewish Pharisee. Like he has all of these underlying understandings as to what each of those titles would mean. And he's giving them to Jesus for a very specific reason. And even if you just take us hearing the words Lord and Savior, oftentimes our understandings of just those words alone aren't even actually what Paul is trying to get at. Um, and if they are sort of what he's trying to get at, um, we still have to do some more work, I think, to figure out this is exactly what that means in the realm of who Jesus is. And so, yes, accurate, but just to say, yeah, I believe him as Lord and Savior. I'm like, whenever I was eight, I didn't even know what Lord was. I was like, that's Jesus. Like, that's all I thought. But there's obviously way more implications than that. Yeah. I like the the way that you brought up the importance of what those words mean in how it's different for them as it is sometimes for us. Um, but can I just read those verses? Real yes. Quick? Um, cool. So yeah, uh, like Bookout said, we're in Romans chapter 10 and specifically looking at verses nine and 10. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Hmm. That's good. And so right there in Romans 10, we actually do see, hey, if you believe that Jesus, or if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in heart, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we do see in the Bible from Paul that believing and confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior does lead to, to salvation in his words. But again, I think, I think we misunderstand or we, we actually just have no idea what those words actually mean. And when we start to, to understand the implications of each of those words, Lord and savior, then we'll understand, okay, wow, this is actually to, to declare this and to believe this actually, actually is a lot deeper than than just like walking down an aisle or writing on a card or praying a prayer. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's dive into each of those words. Let's start with Jesus as savior. Cause I think, I think we understand that a little bit better, although not completely. So what does it mean when we say that, that Jesus is our savior? Yeah. Especially in our cultural context, we're going to think primarily of, okay, Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. Uh, and which is totally true. Sin, I think oftentimes in the lens of, okay, what is, what does that have to do with us? Like becoming a Christian or following Jesus or having a relationship with God. And I think it, we usually default to thinking of sin as just like these wrong things that we do according to what God says is right or wrong. And so, because I've done these wrong things, I have to be forgiven of them. And that's generally, I think, what most people are going to think about, which, again, is very true. Uh, the cultural trend that we're currently in is actually moving kind of away from even default seeing that or feeling that in our lives, um, just with some ideas about like modern individualism and things like that. It's not inherent that we understand that we do wrong things, um, especially at a level that, according to ourselves, oftentimes would deem necessary to be saved from. Uh, and so I think that even hits a little bit less uh, in our current cultural moment. But even, even looking at that aspect of sin and being saved from something, 
Jesus as Savior is way more than that uh, because the whole Old Testament, like Genesis 1 through 3, kind of which is setting up the whole paradigm of, hey, this is our world that we're living in, is trying to tell the story of sin is not just disobeying God, which it is. Um, it is this view of life, and there's like spiritual forces behind it that is like beckoning us to rebel against God and follow this life that it's saying is really life-giving and abundant, but actually it leads to a lot of destruction and death and ruining God's good creation and all these things. So it's actually not serving to us, but it's something that we both have a desire for because of some sinful nature and get like allured into. And this is where I was at. And it's oftentimes whenever I'm talking with people, kind of breaking down the gospel, what it means to follow Jesus. Um, there's not an understanding of being saved from sin as um, almost like getting rescued out of the clutches of something um, like the kingdom of darkness, as Jesus says. Yeah. And so whenever we compartmentalize like savior and Lord as two separate things, I think we're already on the verge of not understanding what either of them mean. Uh, and a big reason for that is because, so Jesus is King. So he's, he's divine. He's God. We already talked about that. He has this authority in our lives. Um, but it is that authority of his kingship and his divinity that actually gives him the ability to rescue us from the very things that are ruining our lives. And so whatever, you know, sin struggles somebody has or patterns, you know, for me, it was like partying and kind of living the fraternity lifestyle, like that type of stuff. Not only is that disobedient to God, um, but that is actually me being enslaved to it. And so if someone doesn't have the desire to move away from that lifestyle because they see how much it's wrecking their life, they're not going to inherently have a a thought of, an, I need someone to rescue me out of this because they still want it. They still crave it. They still love it. And so if you only see the savior aspect of Jesus as in he's like pardoning you for bad things that you've done, but you're still going and living out this lifestyle, which kind of gets into lordship, I think you still have a misconstrued version of what it means for Jesus to save you out of something. And it's really just because if you grew up in a church, well, this isn't only because, but for me, it was because if you grew up in a church setting, being saved is I am saved from the bad things that I've done that are going to lead me to hell, not being freed from the slavery that sin has on somebody. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think it gets down to worldview too. I mean, you were touching on this, but if we don't think that we need to be saved from anything, then we're not going to understand Jesus as our savior. And, and I think that is something that people almost skip over. Um, but yeah, if you, if you grew up in the church, a lot of times you would hear that message that, um, you know, human beings are sinful, but if you didn't grow up in the church or you had never heard that message, then our culture speaks into that in a way that's a little bit confusing. Like our culture often tells us, you know, like live your truth. Like you're never doing anything wrong. You're the main character. Um, you know, do what, what pleases you. But whenever we live by those, um, they're not standards, but in that way, I mean, we're hurting people. We're hurting ourselves. We're hurting others because we're not being, we're, we're being self-centered and we think that we're entitled to everything. And so if, if you're looking at, 
what humanity is from a, a Christian worldview. And so if you're listening and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, then this isn't like, this isn't going to be something that you would cling to necessarily, but, but coming from a Christian worldview, we believe that scripture says humanity is broken and, and they are sinful. And the whole storyline of the Bible of the old Testament is leading us to this promised savior of this, this person who is going to come um, from the line of Jesse. And he is going to, to be that final sacrifice um, so that these, these people don't have to keep striving and trying um, to make up for something that they can't make up for. And, and I think people who, who grew up in the church, like they can tend to grasp that because they've heard that a lot but they may be able to articulate it, but are they actually living by it? Because I, Jacob, I think you were, you were talking about that. If we don't live in light of that, if our lives aren't changed by the understanding that Jesus is our savior, I, I don't think that we actually understand what that means because we're not living like he's Lord over our lives. Yeah, I think, uh, so Peter, one of Jesus' right-hand guys in his, the second letter that he writes that we find in the New Testament, um, he said, he's talking about people who he deems as, um, like false teachers. And so they're teaching about what does it mean to walk in life with God? That's false. So it's leading people away from God into more sin basically. And, uh, he says, this is one of my favorite, um, new Testament passages about Jesus's like savior aspect of him. Um, he says they, meaning these false teachers promise them, meaning the people he's writing to or others who are trying to come into relationship with God. Uh, he promises them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them, which is a quote from Jesus in John eight. Um, and then he continues, continues and says, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and they are again, are entangled in it and, um, and are overcome. They're worse off than when they were at the beginning. Yeah. And so Peter quotes Jesus, hey, whoever's enslaved or mastered by something, by sin, um, you're, you're enslaved to it. And he says, the way that you come out of that is coming to know Jesus. And then he literally assigns him the Lord and Savior title. Yeah, which is which is so good. And Paul, a couple, couple chapters before the verses we read in Romans 10, talks about this idea of everybody is a slave to something, whether you're a slave to like sin and unrighteousness, or you're a slave, he called, he says obedience, which leads to righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of going off this, this parable slash imagery that Jesus gives about like bi- binding the strong man, which is exactly what, what Jesus, Jesus does in his death and resurrection is he, he binds the powers that, that could enslave so that those who believe would be freed from that. And so when Paul and those verses that we read is talking about uh, belief, hey, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, it, it's it's even bigger than just sin, right? The, the verse everyone knows is that the wages of sin is death. Like what the natural result of sin is, is going to be death. And so having this faith, believing that, that God raised Jesus from the dead is saying, Hey, I believe that, that, that strong man is bound like that death. I'm no longer a slave to sin 
and death because, and we'll get to this in a second, because like my Lord or my King has conquered that. And, you know, like people that understood these kind of like ancient battle metaphors. And again, we're, we're heading in that direction would understand that, Hey, if, if you're following the, the victor, like you get to share in some mm-hmm. of the spoils of his victory. And so if you pick, if you pick the right King, like the one that wins, you're going to get to share in, in all that comes with, with that victory. And so part of believing in the resurrection of Jesus and then even the, the ascension that he's ruling and reigning from the right hand of the father right now, like that's what that, that faith looks like. And before we talk about Jesus as Lord, I think it's important to even talk about the other misconception, how like that we've kind of misconstrued this in the Western church, especially in the Bible belt is that even the word belief or faith has lost any sort of impact. We've used, again, going back to that illustration of like when I was growing up, I probably prayed this prayer or walked the aisle. I mean, a dozen times. Cause, cause what if, what if I, I didn't have enough faith the last time, or what if it didn't count the last time? So I probably did that between the ages of like six to 15. I probably did it at least a dozen times was like, okay, maybe this time, just in case it didn't count last time, like I'm going to like, and I, I thought that's what belief meant was like, okay, I, I checked that box. I prayed that prayer. And so hopefully I, I'm good to go. Whereas faith, at least as talked about in the Bible is a very active, gritty, like, Hey, you're, you're going to put your life on the line for, for this type of faith. It's, it's a true like trust that, Hey, these things are real and I'm going to show this faith as, as, uh, James would, would say later, faith without works isn't even real, real faith. So I'm going to show that, that I really do believe that, that Jesus is who he says he is, that God raised him from the dead. And that's not just like an intellectual idea, but it's actually going to, going to change the way I live. It's going to change my whole worldview and perspective because it's, it's a faith that, that actually does something. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that made me think of the Hebrews one verse and when it's kind of defining faith, the author of Hebrews is, and he says, um, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not Hebrews 11, 11. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, and that was, yeah, Hebrews 11, one. And, and I just, I go back to that passage and, and that definition almost reminds me of like trust, like yeah, I am going to trust Jesus is who he says he is, like you said, um, Josh. And I am going to have confidence in um, the things that we hope for. And these people are hoping for um, their their Messiah, like their Savior to come. Um, and they're hoping for the things that, that Yahweh has promised them. Um, and this idea of the new kingdom and things like that. And, and so that's just, that's what I think of when I think of faith. And I think you're right. I think our culture has told us that you know it's believing in this figure in the sky and and I don't know that just that seems to I mean it indicates the relationship like it it makes it so you're not understanding who Jesus is and you're not like 
having that personal relationship with him if you just think of him as like the guy who gives you fire insurance you know like like he's just the the this is just the box I have to check in order to not go to the bad place um so I'm gonna say that I I believe that this guy did these things um but if we miss out on the whole scope of scripture about how God had a plan from the beginning that he was going to rescue his people and, and restore the relationship between him and us. I mean, you're missing out on so much. So yeah, I, I just, I think kind of to, to sum all of that up, like if we understand who Jesus is as our savior, that will then lead us to follow him as the Lord of our lives. That's good. A great, a great transition. Thank you. I've been practicing. You <laughs> cannot, you cannot have these like in, in isolation, these, Jesus as Lord and Savior go together. And I would say the Bible Belt has tr- almost tried to separate them, maybe not intentionally or knowingly, but at least subconsciously has has tried to separate. Yeah, I want Jesus as, as Savior because, you know, hell sounds awful. I don't want to go there, but I still want to live my own life and do whatever I want to do. And, and that's not an option. And so when we talk about Jesus as Lord... Why is that word so hard for us to understand culturally? What are we, what are we not understanding about the word Lord? Yeah, one we, you know, the only time Lord really comes up in our culture is if you're in a religious setting and you're obviously talking about God. That's again, like I said, growing up, that was the only time I thought about Lord. Um, outside of that, if you think really hard, it might be like which is the def like kind of the root definition of Lord, which is someone who has authority. You know, you have like landlord or if you're, you know, talking medieval history, a Lord of a land with his serfs and, you know, things like that, which is getting closer. Um, it really, it's, it's like, it's King. It is authority figure. It is, uh, you know, if you grew up in church and you hear the phrases King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's wrapped up in this like ruling authority kingship type thing. And so, I think one, we're disconnected even just from the word generally, Um, but also the concept of what like a king or a ruler is, that's, I think it's just really hard for us to grasp because, you know, our country was obviously founded on giving a king a middle finger and going and doing our own thing. And that's what we continue to do. That's fair. That's so and a lot of the times, whenever, even now, whenever you hear about other nations who have sovereigns of sort, it's usually negative. Uh, and so whenever you remove from like monarchy type living, I think it's really hard to connect the dots, especially the dots that people who would be very familiar, i.e. New Testament writers and Jesus with those who rule like Caesars and Kings and things like that, that whenever you have a king of a nation, of a land, of a territory, who is, like, awesome. He loves his people. He looks out for his people. Um, he he rules justly. He um, is trying to elevate, even at the cost of a lot of self-sacrifice as the king. The Proverbs all over the place talk about how a king like that is will be praised. The people, like, shout for joy whenever that's the case. And it's because in that worldview, when you have a king or some type of ruler in your life over your country, it is like a joy to then fall under that rulership because you know that somebody who is more powerful than you with more resources than you is looking out for you. And so there's that element of being able to trust and you gladly submit to like 
the laws of the land and the way that he said, hey, if you're in this kingdom, this is the way that we live. It's not just because it's these rules that, you know, I need to decree because I'm the king, but rather he knows that this is the best way to live in this kingdom, which is exactly what Jesus is trying to do when he comes on the scene. And he's like, hey, kingdom of God's here. Let's see how, what it looks like to live in that sermon on the Mount. Go. That's so good. Yeah. Like here, this is the kingdom of God. This is what my kingship will look like. And, and Hey, do you, like, do you, are you in, do you want to be, do you want to be a part of it? It's kind of this, this gospel call. Do you want to be a part of this better kingdom? And so the only reason, maybe not the only reason, but the main reason that, that you would reject Jesus as king would be if you, if you think there's a, a better king out there and so if we go back to kind of like the cultural moment that that Jesus stepped into and that the early church kind of started in, the, the dominating king of the day was Caesar. In fact, there was a famous saying that was just Caesar, Caesar, Kyrios. That's Greek. Caesar, Kyrios, which just means Caesar is Lord or Caesar is king. And so when you're talking about giving, giving middle fingers, Jacob, for the early church to say Jesus is Lord wasn't just this like throwaway statement of like that, you know, we have a lot of freedom here in America, which so thankful for, but to say Jesus is Lord back in the first century AD in, in Roman territory would, would be so dangerous. It would be, it would be so countercultural to say, there wasn't like, hey, Caesar can be Lord and Jesus can be Lord. Like, they can both be king together, right? Wrong. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way. There's only one king. And so to say Jesus is, is Lord or Jesus is king would be an active rebellion against Caesar's lordship. And so which is why throughout the early church you see martyr after martyr after martyr. You see apostle after apostle after apostle getting getting crucified or boiled alive or like being, you know, Nero comes, Caesar Nero comes on the scene and just starts impaling Christians on these poles and and making, making them human lanterns. And because it's like, Hey, they are, they are rebelling, rebelling against my Lordship and my kingship. So there's, there's weight to this. We don't feel it as much today because in America, you're probably not going to be crucified for like, at least literally crucified for saying, Hey, no, this is, this is what it looks like to, to follow Jesus as King. But there is still this battle when, when we push against this Lordship of Jesus or this Kingship of Jesus. The main battle in my opinion is, is because we actually want ourselves mm-hmm. to be king. And it's this mm-hmm. hyper-individualism where we love to have ourselves as Lord and we want we want to be the one that makes all the decisions for our life. And so when that matches up with the kingdom of heaven, we're like, oh, this is awesome. I love mm-hmm. this whole Christianity thing. But when it doesn't match up, we do whatever we can. We kick against it in any way possible to try and justify whether it's like your sexual ethic or whether it's like 
just boundaries in relationships or certain substances that, that you like, or, or even if it's just like identity things, anytime what we want pushes against what, what Jesus has said, this is the better way. This is the blessed life. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. We're, we're faced with this. Who are we going to submit to? Are we going to submit to Jesus as king? Or are we going to continue to put ourselves as, as king over our, our own lives? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, um, Jesus, w- one of my favorite, um, in, one of my, in my favorite gospel, Luke, which is what we're going through this mm-hmm. semester in small groups. Plug. He, uh, yeah, plug, quick plug. He, uh, he talks about this um, in, the, in reference to people calling him Lord, Lord, King, King, you have authority. Um, he says to these people, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say? And then he goes on to give this parable about um, these two men who build houses, and one of them builds it on a, like a stone foundation, um, while the other builds it just on like dirt and sand. Um, and I think even for us, we can grasp that. We know that whenever you build a house, the foundation is like, it has to be laid. You've seen it get built. If you were to just put it on dirt, like it would just fall apart. Uh, and that's, that's the point. Jesus is like, Hey, you're, y'all are calling me Lord, Lord, and not doing what I say. You're like the foolish person who goes and builds a house, i.e. his life on just a bunch of randomness that has no foundation or solidness to it. Whenever the storms come, whenever things in life happen, and even, you get to the end, like judgment happens because of the, or based on how you're living, your life is going to fall apart. And so Jesus is saying there must be congruency between whether you call me Lord or not and how you live. Uh, and, but it's not out of just because these are the rules and just because I say so, it's because this is the better way of life. Like, do you want the house that you build to stand you people hearing me? Well, of course I would want that. Okay. Well, in the same way, that's why you ought to obey me because I've designed life. Literally I've designed life and I rule over it. And if you listen to what I say, things are going to go well. Not that you won't suffer harm or like things in life that are hard or persecution, Josh, like what you're talking about. He doesn't mean that, but whenever it comes to following him, especially when it comes to stand before him and give account for your life, that is what is going to stand. And so I love that parable Mm -hmm. because it's kind of short, simple to the point it's talking specifically about this topic. Um, and I think it's also something that we can grasp because we know how houses are built. Yeah. And we understand how faith kind of enters the equation. We're talking about Jesus as, as savior. Like, okay, do I, do I believe that, that he died for my sin? Do I believe that he conquered death? Do I believe that God raised him from the dead? But I don't think we understand that, that faith is actively involved with Jesus as King as Mm -hmm. well, with Jesus as Lord, faith is still a very like central part of the equation. Hey, do I actually believe that Jesus's way is better? And do I have this active faith to be like, okay, here's what I want to do. But Jesus says this other thing. Do I have enough trust and faith to say, okay, Jesus, I don't like this. I really want this other thing but I'm going to trust and obey that, that your way is better. And when we see passages like, Hey, anyone who calls me Lord, Lord, but doesn't do the will of my father, like anyone who, who looks at me, but doesn't do what I say, 
it says they won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And we look at that and we're like, whoa, that's a little, that's a little harsh. But again, he's, he's actually going back to this whole faith idea that if you call me king, but, but don't do what I say and you don't trust me, well, it's because you don't have, you don't have faith. It's not because you didn't do these certain things. It's because you actually don't view me as king. You don't actually have this faith that you claim. Yeah. And I mean, that's what the Christian life is, right? Like it's dying to ourselves and it's following Jesus. But if, if we don't know what Jesus desires of us, then how are we supposed to follow him? And I think, you know, I've just seen, well, I, I think we need to get back to scripture and I think we need to spend some time with Jesus figuring out okay, who is he? You know, what does he desire of me? How would he respond in this situation? Because that's how we follow him. That's how we do his will. It's by knowing him and knowing what he would desire, knowing what he commands of us and for us to do and, and who we are to be. And so if if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, like what does it look like to follow Jesus, to have him as Lord over my life? Like, what does it look like for me to die to myself? Um, go and spend some time with Jesus, figure out who he is, go and read a gospel, you know, like, like we have the answers in front of us. The Lord was so kind to give us scripture and preserve it for this long. And so, um, spending time with Jesus is so important in getting to know who he is so that we can better understand what it looks like to have him as Lord over our lives. Because like you were saying earlier, Josh, like it's easy to say, oh yeah, he's my savior and then go and live our lives however we want. But that's not what Christianity is. Like if I disagree with something in the Bible, say, you know, man, it would be so much easier if homosexuality wasn't talked about at all in scripture or it would be so much easier if I could sleep with whoever I want whenever I want well it doesn't matter what I want it matters what the Lord wants and so we have to know scripture and know what it says and if we are going to be followers of Jesus we're dying to ourselves and we're choosing him above ourselves and and I think that our culture just so easily says yeah he's savior like I understand that but then they go and live through their desires and doing whatever they want to do and they're not dying to themselves. And that that's just something that I have to check all the time and and think, Eileen, when was the last time that you, you deferred to the Lord and mm. you um, weren't just doing whatever you wanted? When was the last time you asked the Lord what he wanted of you? And I just think that our culture, that I mean, that's just so countercultural. Yeah. And, and understand this, if you're listening to this and like your, your feathers are, are a little ruffled right now, like we're not saying Jesus is not like any other king. He is not power hungry. This is not like a do do what I say because I said so. Like Jesus is this perfect loving king. And and anything that he commands is actually for our own good. He doesn't command us anything just just because like he wants us to to submit and that's it. He wants us to submit for our own good. And so if you've never seen that, like Ali's saying, please go and and spend some time understanding what this kingdom looks like, because it's so different and so much better than, than any kingdom that's ever existed here, here on earth. And I, and I'm telling you, I've lived a vast majority of my life. I guess it's, it's only a little bit of a majority now. (laughs) I'm too old, but I, I've lived like huge sections of my life just trying to do whatever I want. I was king mm-hmm. and and I'll tell you that 
that every time I have cho- chosen my own way in, in, in a season that has completely pushed against what, what Jesus wanted from me, I have regretted that. Mm. I have never once regretted submitting to, to Jesus's king, kingship and kingdom. And so I know in the moment it might seem maybe even oppressive of like, like Jesus doesn't understand these desires that I have, or Jesus doesn't understand this will that I have for my own life. If, if my words carry any weight, which they might not <laughs> trust me in, in, in saying that like, like Jesus's way really is better. And you're going to look back. And if you submit to him as King, you're going to look back and be like, Oh my gosh, Jesus is so, so incredibly loving. And I'm so thankful that, that I followed his way instead of my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the kingship and the saviorship, if that's a word, for Jesus intersects because someone who is saving you from something evil into a better and joyous life and who also has the authority of it. It's like, who else are you going to follow? You know, there's only one person who does that and it's Jesus. Yeah. And so I know this brings up a whole lot of very practical things. And, and so this semester, we're actually going to get to tackle some of these practical things about like, hey, okay, if this is who Jesus is, and again, we just scratched the surface. There's a lot more to say about Jesus besides fully God, fully man, Lord, and Savior, but that's kind of like the foundation that we want to build on this semester. And so as we continue the semester and we talk through practical things, like, as always, come talk to us. Come come ask questions. Like, join a small group. That's That's our whole goal this year. Our whole goal for Fellowship College is... We want to know Jesus better and, and learn what it looks like to be a part of the mission that he's on. And so we're going to continue to dive into what it looks like to actually follow him and become like him. And so until next week, grace, grace and peace. peace.